Welcome to another in-depth exploration of biblical missionaries, written by Borge Schantz, edited for audio and produced by the Ambassador Group. Exploration 13. Must the whole world hear? Now to him who is able to strengthen you in the faith which is in accordance with my gospel, and the preaching of concerning Jesus Christ the Messiah, according to the revelation, the unveiling of the mystery of the plan of redemption, which was kept in silence and secret for long ages, but is now disclosed and through the prophetic scriptures is made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God, to win them to obedience to the faith. To the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ the Anointed One. Amen. So be it. Romans chapter 16 verses 25 to 27. Amplified Bible. As we have seen, the Lord uses people to bring the message of the gospel to other people. However, the reality is Throughout the ages, millions have died without knowing the biblical plan of salvation. The fact is that a majority of those who have ever lived have not heard the story of redemption or known about the good news of God's grace as revealed in Jesus Christ. This leads to two persistent questions. First, on the Day of Judgment, how is God going to deal with these billions who have not known him? Second, is there salvation outside of someone's knowing the plan of salvation as it is in Jesus? Some would answer that there is salvation in a single Christian denomination only. In contrast, others believe that all religions are equally valid guides to God and eternal life. In the end, the crucial point to remember is that Jesus has revealed to us the character of God, and this tells us a lot about his love for all humanity and his desire for as many as possible to be saved. God is a God of justice, and however he works it out, Revelation chapter 15 and verse 3, the shout will be heard across heaven, Just and true are your ways, O King of the saints! heaven. Some Christians have the conviction that only those who hear and respond positively to the Christian gospel can be saved. The people, sometimes called exclusivists, regard all non-Christian religions as constructs of fallen humans, which express willful rebellion against God. Non-Christians are, they believe for that reason, outside the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Some Christians take the further step of claiming that outside their specific denomination and a doctrinal structure there is no salvation, even for those confessing Christians. 
For them, other denominations with their divergent beliefs have placed themselves outside the care of God and have no chance of entering the kingdom of heaven. For instance, in 1302, in his papal bull, Unum Sanctum, Pope Boniface VIII declared, quote, that it is absolutely necessary for salvation that every human creature to be subject to the Roman pontiff, end of quote. Some Protestants have taught something similar in regard to their own denominations as well. Acts chapter 4 and verse 12. And there is salvation in and through no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by and in which we must be saved. What is this verse saying? And how are we to understand these words? The words of the scripture here are very clear. Salvation is found only in Jesus Christ and in no other name under heaven. It's important, however, not to read into these words more than they specifically say. Imagine a man in a building that is on fire. Before being able to escape, he's overcome by smoke and collapses unconscious. A firefighter finds him on the floor, grabs him, and brings him outside where the medics take over. He is rushed to the hospital, and a few hours later, he regains consciousness. The point is that this person who was saved had no idea who had saved him. In the same way, anyone who is saved, either before Jesus came in the flesh or after, will be saved only through Jesus, whether or not that person had heard of his name or of the plan of salvation. Among the heathen are those who worship God ignorantly, those to whom the light is never brought by human instrumentality, yet they will not perish. Though ignorant of the written law of God, they have heard his voice speaking to them in nature, and have done the things that the law required. Their works are evidence that the Holy Spirit has touched their hearts, and they are recognized as the children of God. Those thoughts were written by Ellen G. White from her classic, The Desire of Ages, on page 638. must one know? Picking up where we left off, we can see that although the work of Christ provides the only means of salvation, some believe that explicit knowledge of Christ is not necessary in order for one to be saved. This does not imply that salvation is available apart from Christ, but that God is able and willing to apply the merits of Christ's work to whomever he wishes. Some believe that those who do not know Christ and have never been exposed to the gospel, but who under the influence of the Holy Spirit feel a need for deliverance and act on it, will be saved. The quote from Ellen G. White at the end of the last section certainly implies this. Think of Job and Melchizedek. What light do the following texts shine on this idea. Psalms 87 verses 4 to 6. I will make mention of Rahab, the poetic name for Egypt, and Babylon 
as among those who know the city of God. Behold Philistia and Tyre, with Ethiopia, Cush, saying, This man was born there. Yes, of Zion it shall be said, This man and that man were born in her, for the Most High himself will establish her. The Lord shall count when he registers the peoples that this man was born there. Selah. Pause and calmly think of that. John chapter 10 and verse 16. And I have other sheep beside these that are not of this fold. I must bring and impel those also, and they will listen to my voice and heed my call. And so they will be. They will become one flock under one shepherd. Acts chapter 14 and verse 17. Yet he did not neglect to leave some witness of himself. For he did you good, and showed you kindness, and gave you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with nourishment and happiness. Acts chapter 17, verses 26 to 28. And he made from one common origin, one source, one blood, all nations of men to settle on the face of the earth, having definitely determined their allotted periods of time and the fixed boundaries of their habitation, their settlements, lands, and abodes, so that they should seek God in the hope that they might feel after him and find him, although he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. And Romans chapter 2, verses 12 to 16, All who have sinned without the law will also perish without regard to the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged and condemned by the law. For it is not merely hearing the law that makes one righteous before God, but it is the doers of the law who will be held guiltless and acquitted and justified for it is not merely hearing the law read that makes one righteous before God, but it is the doers of the law who will be held guiltless and acquitted and justified. When Gentiles who have not the divine law do instinctively what the law requires, they are a law to themselves. Since they do not have the law, they show that the essential requirements of the law are written in their hearts and are operating there, with which their consciences, sense of right and wrong, also bear witness, and their moral decisions, their arguments of reason, their condemning or approving thoughts, will accuse or perhaps defend and excuse them. On that day, when, as my gospel proclaims, God by Jesus Christ will judge men in regard to the things which they conceal, their hidden thoughts. God will judge everyone according to what they have done. He will give eternal life to those who keep on doing good, seeking after the glory and honor and immortality that God offers. Romans 2, 6 and 7, the New Living Translation. In these verses, Paul declares that there are some outside of Christianity who will receive eternal life as a result of 
an obedience unto life principle. An Old Testament example of this principle would be Leviticus chapter 18, verse 5, also the New Living Translation. If you obey my decrees and my regulations, you will find life through them. I am the Lord. For those Gentiles who show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts because their consciences also bearing witness, Romans 2.15, New International Version, it will make a difference on Judgment Day because these people have responded to the work of the Spirit in their hearts. Because we don't know people's hearts, why, in all cases, either with professed Christians or non-Christians, must we be careful not to judge their soul's salvation? Universalism and Pluralism Some people teach that in the end, God is going to save all human beings, regardless of what they believed or even how they lived. Universalism is the conviction that all persons are so related to God that they will be saved, even if they never heard or believed the gospel. After all, John 3.16 says, God so loved the world. Thus, in this thinking, if he loves everyone, how can anyone be lost, especially if being lost means eternal torment in hell? How could God burn forever someone whom he loves? This is the reason why we can see how one false doctrine, eternal torment, leads to another, universalism. Related to universalism is pluralism the conviction that all religions are equally valid and lead equally to God and salvation. No religion is inherently better than or superior to any other religion, at least according to this theology. A pastor in a church in California wrote on the church website that his congregation does not believe that Christianity is superior in any way to other religious beliefs. For pluralists, the vast range of religious rituals and beliefs, symbols and metaphors are mere surface differences, concealing a similar core of all religions. Pluralists point out, for example, that most religions emphasize love for God and love for fellow human beings, a form of the golden rule for a blessed future life. According to them, all faiths at the core teach the same thing. Hence, they are all valid paths to God, and it is very chauvinistic and arrogant to try to push Christian beliefs upon those who are members of non-Christian faiths. What does the Bible have to say about the beliefs of both universalism and pluralism? Plenty. Seven references. John 14.6 Jesus said, I am the way, and the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father 
except by or through me. Revelation 20, verses 14 and 15. Then death and Hades, the state of death, were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found recorded in the book of life, he was hurled into the lake of fire. Revelation chapter 21 and verse 8. But as for the cowards and the ignoble and the contemptible and the cravenly lacking in courage and the cowardly submissive, and as for the unbelieving and faithless, and as for the depraved and defiled with abominations, and as for murderers and the lewd and adulterous and the practicers of magic arts and the idolaters, those who give supreme devotion to anyone or anything other than God, and all liars, those who knowingly convey untruth by word or deed, all of these shall have their part in the lake that blazes with fire and brimstone. This is the second death. Daniel chapter 12 and verse 2. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt and abhorrence. John chapter 3 and verse 18. He who believes in him, who clings to, trusts in, relies on him, is not judged. He who trusts in him never comes up for judgment. For him there is no rejection, no condemnation. He incurs no condemnation. But he who does not believe, cleave to, rely on, trust in him, is judged already. He has already been convicted and has already received his sentence because he has not believed in and trusted in the name of the only begotten Son of God. He is condemned for refusing to let his trust rest in Christ's name. Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and spacious and broad is the way that leads away to destruction. And many are those who are entering through it. But the gate is narrow, contracted by pressure, and the way is straightened and compressed that leads away to life, and few are those who find it. And Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. The coming of the lawless one, the Antichrist, is through the activity and working of Satan and will be attended by great power and with all sorts of pretended miracles and signs and delusive marvels, all of them lying wonders, and by unlimited seduction to evil, and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing, going to perdition, because they did not welcome the truth, but refused to love it that they might be saved. No question, both universalism and pluralism are contrary to Scripture. Not everyone will be saved, and all faiths do not lead to salvation. John chapter 14 and verse 6 quotes Jesus responding to Philip. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father 
except by or through me? What answer would you give to someone who argues that Christianity's claim to be the only true path to salvation, as we just heard in John 14.6, is arrogant and exclusivist? For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. John chapter 3 and verse 17, New International Version. What great hope is found in this verse for all humanity? How can you take this truth and first make it your own? How can you use it to motivate you to reach out to people? According to the Bible, we're all sinners, as Romans 3.23 reports in the J.B. Phillips New Testament. Everyone has sinned. Everyone falls short of the beauty of God's plan. God wishes for all, everyone, to repent. Acts chapter 17 and verse 30. Such former ages of ignorance God, it is true, ignored and allowed to pass unnoticed. But now he charges all people everywhere to repent, to change their minds for the better, and heartily to amend their ways with abhorrence of their past sins. Acts chapter 26 and verse 20. Repent and turn to God, and do works and live lives consistent with and worthy of repentance. Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 9. The Lord does not delay and is not tardy or slow about what he promises, according to some people's conception of slowness, but he is long-suffering, extraordinarily patient towards you, not desiring that any should perish, but that all should turn to repentance. God wishes for all, everyone, to be saved. 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 4, God our Savior wishes all men to be saved and increasingly to perceive and recognize and discern and know precisely and correctly the divine truth. From the fallen Eden onward, God's purpose has been to save humanity from the devastation and ultimate eternal death that sin and rebellion have brought to humanity. What more proof do we need than the cross to show God's love for us and his desire to save us. However, Scripture is clear that God will not save those who openly rebel against him. What powerful warning is found in these verses? Genesis chapter 6, verses 11 to 13. The earth was depraved and putrid in God's sight. And the land was filled with violence, desecration, infringement, outrage, assault, and lust for power. And God looked upon the world and saw how degenerate, debased, and vicious it was. 
for all humanity had corrupted their way upon the earth and lost their true direction. God said to Noah, I intend to make an end of all flesh, for through men the land is filled with violence, and behold, I will destroy them and the land. Romans 1 verse 18 For God's holy wrath and indignation are revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who in their wickedness repress and hinder the truth and make it inoperative. Second Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 12 In order that all may be judged and condemned who did not believe in, who refused to adhere to, trust in, and rely on the truth, but instead took pleasure in unrighteousness. Revelation chapter 21, verse 8, in the New Living Translation. But cowards, unbelievers, the corrupt, the murderers, the immoral, those who practice witchcraft, idol worshippers, and all liars, their fate is in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Revelation chapter 22 and verse 15, Amplified Bible. But without are the dogs and those who practice sorceries, magic arts, and impurity, the lewd adulterers, and the murderers, and idolaters, and everyone who loves and deals in falsehood, untruth, error, deception, cheating. God loves all people. But all people are sinners in need of grace, and this grace has been revealed in Jesus. He has called his church to spread the good news of this grace to the world. The church is God's appointed agency for the salvation of men. It was organized for service, and its mission is to carry the gospel to the world. From the beginning, it has been God's plan that through his church shall be reflected to the world his fullness and his sufficiency. The members of the church, those whom he has called out of darkness into his marvelous light, are to show forth his glory. And through the church will eventually be made manifest even to the principalities and powers in heavenly places the final and full display of the love of God. Ephesians 3.10 That mission statement sounding quotation was from the book The Acts of the Apostles, page 9, written by Ellen G. White. In what ways can you personally, not the pastor, not the elder, not the deacon, but you better learn to show forth his glory to a dying world? What must you change in your life in order to do this? The Mission Call 1 Corinthians 9, 22 and 23. What important principle is Paul espousing here? And how can you reflect the same attitude in your own life? To the weak, 
wanting in discernment, I have become weak, wanting in discernment, that I might win the weak and over-scrupulous. I have in short become all things to all men, that I might by all means, at all costs, and in any and every way, save some, by winning them to faith in Jesus Christ. And I do this for the sake of the good news, the gospel, in order that I may become a participator in it and share in its blessings along with you. What important principle is Paul espousing here? And how can you reflect this same attitude in your own life? The Lord of Missions, in his wisdom, chose to work through humans to bring the message of forgiveness and salvation to the world. God chose men and women, despite their weaknesses, to work together with the Holy Spirit and the angels. Israel was to be God's steady light in Old Testament times, but too often they put their light under a basket, Matthew 5.15, New King James Version. Too many times the blessings they received were kept inside Israel. Instead of mixing and sharing, they shut themselves away from the nations in order to escape contamination. God's next plan for world mission called for the SALT method to go and make disciples. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, New King James Version. Mark chapter 16, verses 15 and 20. And the Amplified Bible say, And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach and publish openly the good news, the gospel, to every creature of the whole human race. And they went out and preached everywhere, while the Lord kept working with them and confirming the message by the attesting signs and miracles that closely accompanied it. Amen. So be it. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. But you shall receive power, ability, efficiency, and might when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends, the very bounds of the earth. The history of Christian missions sparkles with stories of self-sacrificing missionaries who went as salt to the world bringing the gospel of life to individuals, communities, and sometimes entire nations. However, as with ancient Israel, too often these mission successes have been obscured by the human shortcomings of the missionary themselves and their overall mission enterprise. These human shortcomings include poor planning for outreach, inadequate understanding of the task, Narrow focus on mission only as education, health care, disaster relief, or development, which overshadow preaching the gospel. Underfunding and understaffing by the sending organizations. Missionaries unsuited to the task. And nations that forbid the preaching of the gospel. Of course, no one ever said that it was going to be easy. We are in the midst of a great controversy, and the enemy will work every way he can to thwart our outreach efforts, whether in our own neighborhoods or in the most remote corners of the world. We, though, must not be discouraged, because we have been given many wonderful promises of power, and we can be sure that God will fulfill his purposes on earth, as we have been told in Isaiah 55, verse 11, 
New Living Translation. It is the same with my word. I send it out, and it always produces fruit. It will accomplish all I want it to, and it will prosper everywhere I send it. We'll be right back. Here is Dr. John Dibdahl to ask a few important questions. Have you ever wanted to be God's ambassador? As you've looked at the world today and what's going on, have you ever wondered if mission was still important? Have you ever asked if there still were room for you to work? I have a series that I think will give you the answer. It's called In Search of a Mission, and it talks about these questions and others and deals with such issues as what is mission, how Jesus defines mission, how you help the whole person, what you do in a hurting and lost world to present a unique Jesus Christ. Where is mission? How do you reach those near you and those far away? Who does God call to be a missionary? Is it possible that even you might have a part in his work? How do you do mission? How do you reach out to friends and family? How do you continue crossing barriers in the world to reach it with Jesus Christ? You can learn a lot in this part of the Bible Explorer series about being God's ambassador. You can order today or anytime at ambassadorgroup.org. Let's continue exploring. Let's listen to three quotations written by Ellen G. White. The first is from the chapter entitled, On the Mount of Olives, in the Desire of Ages, on page 633. It is as if we join an event already in progress. In this case, Jesus is advising his disciples. Christ continues, pointing out the condition of the world at his coming. As the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered into the ark, and knew not until the flood came, and took them all away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Christ does not hear bring to view a temporal millennium, a thousand years in which all are to prepare for eternity. He tells us that as it was in Noah's day, so will it be when the Son of Man comes again. How was it in Noah's day? God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Genesis 6, 5 The inhabitants of the antediluvian world turned from Jehovah, refusing to do His holy will. They followed their own unholy imagination and perverted ideas. It was because of their wickedness that they were destroyed. And today, 
the world is following the same way. It presents no flattering signs of millennial glory. The transgressors of God's law are filling the earth with wickedness. Their betting, their horse racing, their gambling, their dissipation, their lustful practices, their untamable passions are fast filling the world with violence. In the prophecy of Jerusalem's destruction, Christ said, Because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. This prophecy will again be fulfilled. The abounding iniquity of that day finds its counterpart in this generation. So with the prediction in regard to the preaching of the gospel. Before the fall of Jerusalem, Paul, writing by the Holy Spirit, declared that the gospel was preached to every creature which is under heaven. Colossians 1.23 So now, before the coming of the Son of Man, the everlasting gospel is to be preached to every nation and kindred and tongue and people. Revelation 14.6 and 14 God hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world. Acts 17.31 Christ tells us when that day shall be ushered in. He does not say that all the world will be converted, but that this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. By giving the gospel to the world, it is in our power to hasten our Lord's return. We are not only to look for, but to hasten the coming of the day of God. 2 Peter 3.12 Margin Had the Church of Christ done her appointed work as the Lord ordained, the whole world would before this have been warned, and the Lord Jesus would have come to our earth in power and great glory. The second quotation is from the chapter entitled Speedy Preparation in her book Fundamentals of Christian Education, page 335. We are not of that class who define the exact period of time that shall elapse before the coming of Jesus the second time with power and great glory. Some have set a time, and when that has passed, their presumptuous spirits have not accepted rebuke, but they have set another and another time. But many successive failures have stamped them as false prophets. The secret things belong unto the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong unto us and to our children forever. Notwithstanding the fact that there are false prophets, there are also those who are preaching the truth as pointed out in the scriptures. With deep earnestness, with honest faith, prompted by the Holy Spirit, they are stirring minds and hearts by showing them that we are living near the second coming of Christ. But the day and hour of His appearing are beyond the ken of man. For 
Of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But there is a day that God hath appointed for the close of this world's history. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. Prophecy is fast fulfilling. More, much more, should be said about these tremendously important subjects. The day is at hand when the destiny of every soul will be fixed forever. This day of the Lord hastens on apace. The false watchmen are raising the cry, All is well, but the day of God is rapidly approaching. Its footsteps are so muffled that it does not arouse the world from the death-like slumber into which it has fallen. While the watchmen cry, Peace and safety, sudden destruction cometh upon them, and they shall not escape. For as a snare shall it come on all them that dwell on the face of the whole earth, it overtakes the pleasure lover and the sinful man as a thief in the night. When all is apparently secure and men retire to contented rest, then the prowling, stealthy, midnight thief steals upon his prey. When it is too late to prevent the evil, it is discovered that some door or window was not secured. Be ye also ready, for in an such hour as ye think not, the Son of Man cometh. People are now settling to rest, imagining themselves secure under the popular churches. But let all beware, lest there is a place left open for the enemy to gain an entrance. Great pains should be taken to keep this subject before the people. The solemn fact is to be kept not only before the people of the world, but before our own churches also, that the day of the Lord will come suddenly, unexpectedly. The fearful warning of the prophecy is addressed to every soul. Let no one feel that he is secure from the danger of being surprised. Let no one's interpretation of prophecy rob you of the conviction of the knowledge of events which show that this great event is near at hand. The third quotation is from the chapter entitled Extension of the Work in Foreign Fields in Testimonies for the Church, Volume 6, page 23. Arise, shine, for thy light is come and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. Isaiah 60, 1 The words of the Lord in the 54th chapter of Isaiah are for us. Enlarge the place of thy tent, and let them stretch forth the curtains of thine habitations. Spare not, lengthen thy cords, and strengthen thy stakes. For thou shalt break forth on the right hand and on the left, and thy seed shall inherit the Gentiles, and make the desolate cities to be inhabited. Fear not, for thou shalt not be ashamed, neither be thou confounded, for thou shalt not be put to shame. For thy Maker is thine husband, the Lord of hosts is his name, and thy Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel 
the God of the whole earth shall he be called. Isaiah 54, 2-5 And the words of Christ to his disciples are also for his people today. Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest? Behold, I say unto you, Lift up your eyes, and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. And he that reapeth receiveth wages, and gathereth fruit unto life eternal, that both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. John 4, 35 and 36 God's people have a mighty work before them, a work that must continually rise to greater prominence. Our efforts in missionary lines must become far more extensive. A more decided work than has been done must be done prior to the second appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. God's people are not to cease their labors until they shall encircle the world. The New Testament employs two Greek nouns accompanied by the adjective all to express the worldwide extent of Christian mission. All the cosmos in Matthew 26.13, Mark 14.9, and Mark 16.15, and all the oikumene in Matthew 24 and 14. While cosmos, the more general term for the realm of orderly existence, signifies the planet with approximately 150 New Testament occurrences, the more specific oikumene focuses on the world's human inhabitants. How extensive was the whole world for the first Christians? Within a few years of the crucifixion, they had reached modern-day Cyprus, Lebanon, Syria, Turkey, Macedonia, Greece, and Italy. There is evidence that they propagated the gospel as far as southern Russia, ancient Scythia in the north, Ethiopia in the south, India in the east, and Spain in the west. Did the early Christian missionaries believe that they had to reach the whole world with the gospel? According to the Acts of the Apostles, the Holy Spirit, on the day of Pentecost, the birthday of the Christian church, began to proclaim the mighty works of God to visitors from a list of nations, geographic regions, and ethnic groups. Acts chapter 2, verses 5 to 11. Let's take a few minutes to hear the verses. Read from the New Living Translation, and it reads, At that time there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running, and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. They were completely amazed. How can this be? they exclaimed. These people are all from Galilee and yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. Here we are, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, the province of Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the areas of Libya around Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, and we all hear these people speaking in our own languages, 
about the wonderful things God has done. From its first day of life, the Christian church has been aware of the worldwide extent of its mission. If they had that understanding back then, how much more so should we today? In closing, here are a few points to ponder and questions to consider. Question. Does exclusivism necessarily translate into arrogance? If not, why not? How would you answer this question? If people can be saved without ever having heard the gospel, what's the point of risking life and limb in order to spread it to them? The church's understanding of the size and extent of the whole world has expanded since the day of Pentecost. Jesus' gospel commission to go therefore and make disciples of all nations Matthew 28:19 New King James Version will remain present truth for the church until Christ returns. How does the proclamation of the three angels' messages of Revelation chapter 14 verses 6 to 12 fit in with the great commission? We will end our explorations of biblical missionaries hearing the three angels' messages read from the New Living Translation. The three angels and I saw another angel flying through the sky, carrying the eternal good news to proclaim to the people who belong to this world, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. Fear God, he shouted. Give glory to him, for the time has come when he will sit as judge. Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and all the springs of water. Then another angel followed him through the sky, shouting, Babylon is fallen! That great city is fallen! Because she made all the nations of the world drink the wine of her passionate immorality. Then a third angel followed them, shouting, Anyone who worships the beast and his statue, or who accepts his mark on the forehead or on the hand, must drink the wine of God's anger. It has been poured full strength into God's cup of wrath, and they will be tormented with fire and a burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and of the Lamb. The smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever, and they will have no relief day or night, for they have worshipped the beast and his statue and have accepted the mark of his name. This means that God's holy people must endure persecution patiently, obeying His commands and maintaining their faith in Jesus. AmbassadorGroup.org Thanks for listening. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.